Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tony Katz. This is Kendall and Casey. The Amber and Nigel Show. All right, uh, when does your show start? Do we know? I feel like I've been promoting this for nine years now. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Uh, we've had kind of an interesting set of circumstances arise. Uh, this episode was uh, originally kind of pieced together from a few segments that I've been meaning to get to for a couple of days, given the news cycle's been so patently insane. Uh, that we've actually had an aligning of the stars. So later on in the show, we'll be talking about the reason that the United States of America needs to invade Mexico. I don't mean special forces operations. I don't mean little piddly nation building like Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean the United States officially and federally, with all of the branches of our military, need to occupy the states of Sonora, Chihuahua, Tabasco, oh, several other border states. We're going to talk about that in the fourth segment, so stick around because I'm done playing around. Other than that, we're going to be talking about the shores of Tripoli. That's what we're starting off with right now. So, breaking news. The United States has just announced that it will lead an international coalition of 10 navies against the Houthis in Yemen. Now, it's kind of difficult to keep track of all of the garbage uh, jihadist Shia Muslim pirate groups in the Middle East, so let me break it down for you. You have uh, the Hamas Iranian-backed uh, goobers in the Gaza Strip. You have Hezbollah um, in southern Lebanon, and then you have the Houthis, which is a rebel a <clears throat> rebel group in Yemen that Iran funds and arms. And they have decided to play patty cake with the U.S. Navy and our allies in the shipping lanes. So, if you don't know, post World War II, the United States established to protect common shipping lanes for the free market and the free world that we were going to stick our massive navy wherever we darn well pleased. And if you didn't like it, tough. You're not going to come up against the U.S. Navy that just dug the Japanese out of every single hole in the Pacific and absolutely obliterated anyone who opposed us anywhere else. The United States, whether you like it or not, whether you like imperialism or not, has a hegemony in the U.S. oceans. Donald Trump Ron DeSantis, even George Bush and Nikki Haley understood and understand that the U.S. Navy must maintain supremacy in the oceans. Entire world wars have happened when you don't maintain supremacy in the U.S. and abroad. And therefore, that brings us to the Houthis in Yemen. So on the little bottom of the smaller tip of the Arabian Peninsula is a lot of shenanigans going on in which the Yemen Houthis have been causing a lot of trouble for boats that are trying to pass in and out of the area. They are firing rockets and missiles and all other kinds of nonsense, including drones, at trade vessels, at maritime vessels from a host of nations. Now, I would like to remind every one of you out there who may have graduated fourth grade with your basic civics understanding that firing on a ship in international waters that is clearly marked with the jack, the naval ensign of the nation it represents, is an act of war. And that doesn't mean it's an act of war, so we need to sternly offer some sanctions or, oh, we just need to stay out of that area because clearly the U.S. shouldn't just go wherever it wants. No, that's an act of war. And you know what an act of war means? It means consequences. So let's take that into a little U.S. history. Uh, One of my favorite songs is the anthem of the U.S. Marines. 
and in the 1800s, the United States had a bit of a different foreign policy perspective than it did now. But uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here is the first verse of the anthem of the U.S. Marines. From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, we find our country's battles in the air on land and sea. First to fight for right and freedom and to keep our honor clean. We are proud to claim the One of the oldest and strongest traditions in the history of the United States Navy, which was founded before the United States was in fact an official state, is destroying Muslim pirates that troubled shipping lanes. So back in the 17 and the 1800s, there was a group of Muslim jihadist states that were part of the caliphates that, you know, uh, traded black people into slavery and raped and killed anyone who they came in contact with. Uh, they had these uh, this Barbary state collection of states uh, were these group of Muslim kind of city states that operated with large piracy groups and they would go out into the seas and they would rape, pillage and plunder. And uh, Europe being, you know, Europe uh, basically just paid them off and, and just said, you know, here's a, a, a bribe. P -p -p Please don't kidnap our sailors. And uh, the United States Navy, under the direction in 1801 of Thomas Jefferson, decided that we were just about sick and tired of having to engage in little conversations with the Barbary states. And Lord knows that Europe has the, uh, let's say, the testosterone of a Tennessee June bug. And so Thomas Jefferson said, what if Tripoli wasn't a place anymore? And so the United States went over and thoroughly beat down half of the Barbary states and beat the other half into submission. And this is the United States naval foreign policy. Foreign policy is not to make friends. Foreign policy is not concerned with, well, I, I hope the next generation doesn't hate us. If you, if you are going about your personal life, as in like whether other people like you or not, uh, you will be a very embarrassing shell of a human being. In the same way, any country that puts what other countries think of it before the interests of its own people is a pathetic excuse for a country whose citizens do not deserve the God-given rights that they've been endowed with. And that's the same as it is in the Middle East. So now the United States, under the direction of the, U the U.S. Department of Defense, is ordering a task force over to deal with these Houthi rebels. And uh, if this was under the Trump administration or a DeSantis administration, uh, we would honestly expect major naval strikes and perhaps a Gulf War-like destruction path. That's how you fight a war, by the way. You do not fight a war with nation-building, fun, team-building democracy exercises. This is the one clear lesson learned from the Old Testament. If you do not win a war 100% completely, obliterating any and all resistance, not seceding to calls of ceasefires and friendships and John Lennon singing Imagine, if you do not prosecute a war to its fullest extent, you will sow the seeds of your own destruction. It is unequivocally necessary to dig out each and every enemy and maintain that if you're going to keep the shipping lanes open, there's no other group in the region that has a Navy strong enough to keep those lanes open. And a massive amount of goods to the United States passes through those shipping lanes. 10% of all traded goods in the world pass through the Red Sea, not to mention all of the various straits around the area that produce another 10 to 20% of Earth's goods. And that isn't just hummus and whatever you're grabbing 
uh, down at the Halal Mart. These are central goods, including everything from linens uh, to subsecondary plastic parts that it is essential that we import, not to mention sell to. The U.S. exports a lot of goods through those areas. And so to close the small section on U.S. abroad foreign policy, please, please test the U.S. Navy. Please allow us to take the, the you know, the U.S. Navy's mascot uh, is indeed an absolute enraged bulldog for a reason, right? Like the, the U.S. Navy and its its themes of bulldoggery, of goatery, of ramming and destroying everything in its path exist for a reason, because the U.S. Navy doesn't play around. And there are a lot of admirals in the U.S. Navy that are not so timid and woke as of yet. We have a lot of issues here at home that we need to get into. Uh, certainly, uh, we definitely have to talk about inflation coming up in 24 and 25. Don't miss it. Stick around. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Back to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. There are a lot of people claiming to speak for black Americans. In fact, there are a lot of people claiming to speak for just about everybody out there. Uh, yet that doesn't always go over so well, especially when the individuals claiming to speak for the group say such outrageous and outlandish things. After the Israeli-Hamas conflict began with Hamas uh, brutally destroying uh, 1,200 uh, Israelis in exceptionally brutal fashion, uh, several BLM Black Lives Matter chapters uh, spoke out and uh, endorsed the events and said a lot of outrageous things. Uh, well, Bob Woodson, who is the founder and president of the Woodson Center, wrote an op-ed to Newsweek just the other day, which states, Black Lives Matter does not speak for black America. Uh, thank you very much for joining us this evening, sir. Pleased to be here. Well, I, I, I just resented the fact that they, again, were weaponizing the race issue mm. and, and, and misusing... Uh, the rich tradition of civil rights uh, as, a, as a weapon against uh, Israel. When you say misusing, how, how do you mean? I mean, it's abusing. It's, it's the assumption that Black Lives Matter speaks for black America. It has never spoken for black America. And it's, it's weaponizing the race issue. The assumption is that anyone who claims to be seeking justice for blacks speaks for blacks. And and and, it's, and what it's done is misusing it is it violates a very rich tradition and history that Jewish Americans have with the black community, even before the civil rights movement. Uh, I cite in the article the relationship that Julius Rosenwald, the Jewish CEO of Sears, had a partnership with Booker T. Washington, and together they built five thousand Rosenwald schools. Many. Black politicians and celebrities benefited from these relationships. Um, there was a proliferation of YMCA's mm -hmm. when blacks were migrating from the segregated South to the North and needed a place to live. Julius Rosenwald insisted that the YMCA build YMCA, and he invested heavily in them. And so um, it is this rich relationship that I believe is being under attack 
by this absurd assertion on the part of Black Lives Matter that somehow they speak for Black America and that and that Black America does not have common cause with Israel. Well, I, I think that within that, there's also the the large evangelical movement that binds uh, a lot of Black America together. At least is uh, a lot of conversations that I've had with a lot of reverends from um, inner city Indianapolis down to Atlanta to Baton Rouge, um, who share kind of a common theme that uh, we have very close ties with our Jewish brothers and sisters, and you know that we're called to love, honor, and respect them. And something that I see is kind of a common thread in a lot of Black Lives Matter. Uh, protests and marches is that they're so eager to discard kind of that rich history of church houses in the United States um, that was so precious to so many of our communities for hundreds of years. I mean, it's part of what our communities are built on. It, it, it really is. But uh, as you say, that that, that rich uh, tradition, um, uh, many celebrities, I mean, uh, in, in the South, because of the 700,000 people, uh, children, were educated in those Rosenwald mm -hmm. schools. The education gap was three years, and yet it closed with them from three years to six months between 1920 and 1940 as a consequence of the Rosenwald-Booker T relationship. Um, many uh, celebrities, uh, Maya Angelou, John Lewis, all of them went to Rosenwald schools, uh, and they and they and existed up until 1954 with the Supreme Court Brown versus the, the Board of Education, and so um, Black Lives Matter is just trampling on this rich tradition, and that's why I felt uh, motivated to write a column to speak uh, for I believe in defense of of uh, that rela those relationships. We're on. Uh we're on with Bob Woodson, uh, founder and president of the Woodson Center, uh, kind of discussing a little bit of a Newsweek column that he wrote called Black Lives Matter Does Not Speak for Black America. Uh, it really touches a bit of a nerve when, uh, again, so many of us who have read history or experienced history, um, again, as you talk about with this rich relationship through this education, I see a lot of kind of young progressivism that seeks to just kind of make these broad blanket sweep statements about history without actually studying um, specific movements, not just the civil rights movement, but again, like you talked about in your article, these rich relationships between the Jewish and the black community regarding education and reconstruction. And it just seems like there's a, a kind of a youthful arrogance that just wants to lash out without considering what it's lashing out against. It's like you, you have someone swinging a sledgehammer at load bearing walls. Am I off base here? No, you're right. And, and like I say, but these young people are, are being misled. Uh, this what the whole 1619 project, which tries to define America by its birth defect of slavery. No one should be defined by the worst of what we were earlier in our life. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned the shouldn't, nor should an individual. You mentioned the 1619 project, and that kind of ties back to my time in, in the classroom. Uh, I remember observing a teacher in Indianapolis public schools. Uh, a, a young white teacher looked like his 20s, 30s, who was lecturing his students that Booker T. Washington, um, again, who had that partnership with uh, Rosenwald, uh, said that Booker T. Washington was the sellout and that W.E.B. E. Du Bois hated him and, and that he did nothing for the black America. And the students that were in his classroom, those that were paying attention, were just rolling their eyes. And this is 
it's it's so endemic of just some young progressive to come in and make these sweeping statements. They have no idea what they're talking about. They've read one essay in the last five years. I, and there's so much the rich history. It's not boring. This stuff's incredible. I mean, this is a story that needs to be studied and retold. It really should. That's why in our book, Red, White and Black, Rescuing America from Revisionist, Historical Revisionists and Race Hustlers, we paint a more accurate story of history. There were 20 blacks who were born slaves who died millionaires. We, when we were denied access to hotels, we built our mm -hmm. own. Uh, and so there's just a rich tradition. Uh, but, but all of it, blacks have fought in every war that this country has, has, has been engaged in. And yet one black was ever found guilty of treason. That, that tells you something about that we, we saw it. America is a, co a country of second chances. It's a country of redemption. Mm. And that's what young people need to learn. And it's very interesting that we have, when we develop our curriculum uh, out of our book, we have so far 135,000 downloads in all 50 states. So there's a thirst for truth about American history. And when you ignore facts, then lies become normal. They really do. And, and that kind of poison really seeps into a community because there's an atmosphere of hope, redemption, and that kind of uh, Abrahamic dream to go, to seek out, to create, and to build is something that America's always held up as a high ideal. And that, that something that our, our various communities have, I mean, again, again, we're talking about the relationship between, uh, to talk between Rosenwald and Washington. When you look at the unification to build and create, it's so deeply contrasting to the hate and division that seeped into communities and is sucking life out of them now. I mean, you don't see these neighborhoods in, in any cities or suburban areas anymore that are bringing new life and new culture and new art. Uh, it's like we're, it, it kind of reminds me like we're living in an IV off of the very last bits that we've held on to. And it's so heartbreaking. It really is. But my uh, Delano Squires, I think my young uh, colleague framed it best. And he said, this narrative is being driven by elite guilty whites who are seeking absolution from injustices. I mean, from uh, crimes they never committed, mm. and elite blacks who are seeking absolution from injustice they never suffered. <laughs> but it really is elites who are driving this narrative. When you go on the streets of urban centers the way I do, I spend a lot of, at 80, I tell people 80% of my closest friends have letters in front of their names, not behind them. Mm. And these are low-income leaders who are my Josephs, when you go into these communities, none of them are confused about their pronouns and you don't see Black Lives Matter fly, flags flying in there because they, they, they have to confront the reality of life. And what they emphasize when we come together is resilience and, 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 against, and perseverance in the presence of challenges, not whining and complaining about the injuries that we uh, are suffering but it's the victories that we are promoting that's really driving the narrative in these communities. And that's what it's important to report. On. I think so. It's that kind of resilience that, that I see. Uh, again, for, for example, there's a, a school in Georgia um, where a young man is kind of engendering that spirit with young men that's phenomenal. 
sir, Mr. Woodson. Bing Randall. Oh, yeah, my favorite. I, X is school for boys. Supporters. We are strong supporters of King Randall. We're helping him to build his school. He's he's an incredible man. I got the opportunity to interview him a couple years ago, and just to see where he's gone since then is just nothing short of, of uh, I'm just very thankful well, for it. Well, he exemplifies the spirit of the real black America. I think, And that's what we should be talking about, discussing, highlighting, featuring, and supporting. I think that's very, Not very well said. Sayers. I saw I saw two gay men holding up a Black Lives Matter flag at a pro-Palestinian rally. I said, that says it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah I- <laughs> <laughs> These are our champions. They're holding up on one side or the other a Black Lives Matter flag. Two gay men at a pro-Palestinian rally. Tells you everything you need yeah, to know. That's all the activism one can stomach wrapped up into one. Uh, Bob Woodson, uh, founder and president of the Woodson Center, editor of Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers, and author of Lessons from the Least of Us. Thanks for hopping on this evening. Thank you. You are listening to the Tony Kinnicast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIPC. Just a curbside profit with my hand in my pocket. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. U.S. officials are now warning Border Patrol agents to watch out for IEDs, uh, improvised explosive devices, according to an internal memo. Uh, They are suggesting that agents should exercise extreme caution. And uh, this brings uh, something I would suggest uh, rather to the forefront of the American mind, which is that the United States should be occupying Mexico. And that's kind of what at first sounds like a crazy statement. We should be occupying Mexico. Oh, my gosh, that sounds horrible. No, it's not. And here's why. First of all, there's precedent for the situation. The United States has occupied Mexico a number of times over the years. But look, we'll get into kind of the logistics of that here in a second. Imagine for me that you are in a situation in which you live out in uh, Alaska. And there is, uh, let's say, someone who has been causing a, a certain amount of trouble. It can be a person, maybe it's some kind of a wild animal. And every night they are coming up and they're eating uh, perhaps some of your livestock. They're threatening your pets. Uh, I during the fall and winter time have helped a few local farms take care of some coyotes that are getting into chicken farms. And uh, there's certainly a couple of ways that you can deal with that. You can sit back and, and always wait for the predator to come to you, but the catch is you don't always know where the predator is going to come from, how many of the predator they're going to be, or whether you are going to be ready and on the defense at the time the predator is coming, or you can take the problem to the predator. And that was the U.S. foreign policy here at home. See, there's two kinds of foreign policy. There's abroad, how we deal with Asia, Europe, Africa, and our assets in the Indo-Pacific. And then there are the uh, situations that we deal on the Monroe Doctrine side of things. How do we deal with problems closer to home? And the current issue at hand is that the Mexican government has been overrun by the Sinaloa cartel. 
The Sinaloa cartel, by the way, Sinaloa is the state right below Sonora and Chihuahua. So south of Arizona is Sonora. South of New Mexico is Chihuahua. Not just a dog for Taco Bell. And then below that, on the western coast of Mexico, is the state of Sinaloa. The Sinaloa cartel, one of the most powerful and ruthless drug cartels on Earth, basically governs the state of Mexico. Mexico is not really fighting them. And Mexico is also allowing... At this point, I would say hundreds of thousands to millions of migrants through its country to head towards the United States with nary a buy your leave. That is a major problem because that that action and that indirect action is causing harm to citizens of the United States. The action of Mexico not controlling its own country not being willing to fight the brigands and the evil and, and the groups of people that are trafficking children through its country, not to mention the fentanyl, that in and of itself is considered an act of aggression to the United States. And by the way, that was one of the reasons that we went to war with the uh, government of Mexico in the past. Not just, not just, you say, to uh, help Texas fight off the Mexican government. There are times in United States history in which Gangs of Mexicans have uh, imprisoned U.S. sailors or have captured U.S. citizens and dragged them kicking and screaming across the border. And the United States invaded full force because if you can't keep your own country under control and you're on the U.S. border, that's our problem. And a lot of, well, we know, you're just forever wars. Oh, wait, how, how could you suggest? Let's just build a really big wall. Uh, yeah, you, you can build a really big wall. But if you leave a wound festering and you do not take care of the infection, then the problem will never truly go away. Now, the United States invaded Mexico in 1846. In 1914, there have been several unofficial actions since then. But it is important to be completely and fully honest that at this point, I believe that not even sending special forces teams into Mexico is a proper response to this. You have to take care of the cartel. Why do I say that? Because I agree with individuals like Tucker Carlson and like Vivek Ramaswamy who say that that is the biggest threat to the security of the United States right now. See, the, the fact of the matter is the real secret is that we have an abroad foreign policy issue with the Muslim jihadists and we have an at home foreign policy issue with uh, the Mexican drug cartels and all of the violence they're ferrying into this country by the hundreds of thousands. And that's not just going to take a wall. That's not just going to take standing up to Iran and China to solve. You actually have to take decisive action. And by the way, this does not mean being super friendly, huggable. Oh, we just got to give them more aid. That's true. We could probably run guns to them like the Obama administration did with Eric Holder. That's probably not going to do very much. The United States Army is to handle border problems on this hemisphere. And the U.S. Navy is to handle foreign problems in that hemisphere. That is how U.S. foreign policy works. That was the motto of Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt did not believe in the idea that we need to just kind of gently just be really nice to everyone, just build a really big wall, keep the world out, and just pretend that the United States is a bubble that doesn't trade with anyone or that its citizens aren't allowed to go to any other countries or else they might live in fear that we might get attacked. No, Teddy Roosevelt said, we speak softly diplomatically, meaning that uh, we won't bluster about in our requests from other countries diplomatically or perhaps influence other countries in meanings via the, the U.S. diplomatic corps and, and later on intelligence agencies, but we are to carry a big stick, meaning that every single citizen of the United States is backed at home by the U.S. Army and the Southern Hemisphere by the U.S. Army and abroad by the U.S. Navy. 
and the U.S. Marines to fit in everywhere else, and the long arm of the U.S. Air Force to hit all of the other spots that either of those two don't quite reach. That is the facet of foreign policy that matters, because anything less than that is weakness. Anything less than that is pathetic timidness that ended up costing thousands of lives over the period of the Iraq and Afghanistan war. Nation building cost the lives of tens of thousands of U.S. soldiers. And not just in Iraq and Afghanistan, but in all over the Middle East, Northern Africa, and in foreign bases in which we've kind of had a soft-footed approach to things. That is not how foreign policy works. The General MacArthur, the General Patton model works. Either the U.S. citizens have value or they don't. And by suggesting that we need to just sit in this country and lock our doors and, and gee, I sure hope that nobody will, will, will hurt us, is a great way to engender terror attacks like those of 9-11. And by the way, the, the, the policy that I'm criticizing there is Nikki Haley and George Bush, who, who just think that very soft, moderate ideas of diplomacy are, are just suddenly going to win over hearts and minds. No, ain't going to happen. If you're going to fight for Western civilization, fight like you have a Department of War, not a Department of Defense. Up next, we've got a whole kind of inflation that you maybe haven't even thought of yet. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Allison, uh, are you are you a kind of person that, that orders the filet fish from McDonald's? <laughs> I, I don't. No, I go more for the nuggets. Okay. Well, the nuggets have not changed, but there is a report from the New York Post. Uh, which showcases that uh, due to inflation, the size of the filet of fish, like the the patty of fish, at least I, I really hope that's fish. Um, it's shrinking. Um, people are calling it. Uh, people are calling it the McMinnow. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually pretty good. <laughs> it like it is something that I I've noticed. Uh, so I when I go to McDonald's and I and I want a burger, I get the Big Mac with extra Mac sauce because like the Mac sauce is the best part of the Big Mac. And I don't know. Maybe I, I hope I'm not crazy. But I feel like the the patties have shrunk. Like they're the size of like breakfast sausage patties. They're so tiny. And this is something that we're seeing across the industry. I, dude, again, I know you said you're a nuggets person, but have you seen like the, the patties? They look smaller. I no? do agree. And I also think it's not just McDonald's. I noticed Wendy's the other day. I went to get a Frosty and those are like 10 times smaller than what they used to be. It's it's shrinking everywhere. So the most damning bit of evidence that I have is from a TikTok baker, which you know me, TikTok and I don't usually mix, but I saw this report. My, my wife actually pointed it out and she was, um, I mean, she was just at furious over this. Uh, she, she pointed this out. So Melina Lee, who's at 29, operates what's called the Sweet Grace Bakery in Texas. And she says she typically keeps about five boxes of Betty Crocker super moist white cake mix on hand. For, you know, single wedding cake recipes and things like that. Um, she said that the last time she stocked up was about six weeks ago. And normally they come in 16.25 ounce boxes. But recently 
After she was picking up some more from Walmart, she said they felt lighter. She looked at the boxes, and on closer inspection, now the boxes are only 14.25 ounces. Now, put that aside for a second. Obviously, it's crazy that for the same price, you're literally getting less cake mix, or it's not the same price. Prices are increasing, and you're getting less, but this is the worst part, Allison. Get this. The instructions for all of the other ingredients to add are still the same. Same number of eggs, same amount of oil, same amount of water, same amount of everything else. This smells fishy. Not like filet of fishy, <laughs> but like, like the McMenos. But no, uh, but like okay. Uh, now I, my wife is a far better baker than I will ever be, and my my sweet grandmother Mary in Henry County is even just is a, a baker on par with with uh, the, the skill of Atlas holding up the earth. And I I know that. I am no master chef or baker, but I feel like um, if you're going to change the amount of cake mix that you're giving, maybe you should change the wet ingredients that are going into. Like, doesn't that change the cake? Yeah, you'd think it'd change at least the texture or something. So I I, I did a little more digging. And uh, yes, um, so two things. Number one, uh, it does change the cake. And like the cakes are coming out different. And that's upset a lot of people who like baking is their livelihood. And people are reporting that like with things that they've used that cake mix for, that the stuff's not the same. Like bakes are coming out grainier. Um, I can just imagine Paul in the Great British Baking Show just being unhappy with whatever that is on your plate. But Betty Crocker has acknowledged the change and said this, quote, it's important to keep its products affordable, end quote. Don't you think it's also important that, like, the cake turns out okay? I mean... Well, and it's not more affordable because it's, like you said, the it's still increasing the prices. I, I'm, I mean, I'm just shocked by that. I mean, I'm not shocked because, like, this is, this is the other side of these things. And portions are getting smaller. Groceries are skyrocketing. And, um... This is this is one of the things that that kind of get on my nerves. There was a columnist for some like a newspaper the other day that was complaining that people aren't grateful enough for this economy, and he was he was making fun of how that like oh uh, my lobster and filet mignon combo cost three dollars fifty cents extra, and it's so out of touch. Like I I don't know again, Allison. I don't know. I, we've talked a little bit about like how we grew up, but when I grew up, I mean we were eating like the uh, the banquet. Um, Salisbury steak and mashed potatoes. Like I grew up in that firmly middle income, slightly lower middle income family group. And like the food that we ate, the amount that you got was very specific and the ingredients mattered uh, because every dollar counted. And now you've got the situation in which, you know, common average everyday Hoosiers, which again, anybody who's paying more right now is hurting. Regardless of their income, that, that's not, you know, the, not, the case here is not that like the elites are all fine and, and, and the, the pores are, you know, suffering. But the case is, is that specifically for people who every dollar must count towards food to add the extra insult of not only is it more expensive, but we're not going to tell you that the portions have changed. I, I, I'm not trying to invent like really catastrophic situations, but to invent a catastrophic situation, imagine you were a mom. Who in remember like I used to go to groceries and it was like for a single person it was like twenty forty maybe fifty dollars to get like two or three weeks worth of groceries for yourself. Sure. So I, I imagine now if I go and I fill up like 
not even the cart. We're talking like the baby area, like of the, where the kid sits. If I fill that up, that's like $70. But imagine being a mom who's like buying stuff for your kid's birthday party. And so you go and you get the, the, the food for the meal and then you throw some Betty Crocker cake mix in there for dessert. And then you go home and you, you make the meal for your kid and then you make the cake and the cake is ruined. So on top of already the meal's really expensive, we might have to cut something out just to make sure that you can have the cake, which there are people that are living within like seven to $8 margins. So it's not enough to say, well, it's just a box of cake mix. Like, no, it, it does matter in this situation what a lot of people in Indiana are facing. Well, and, and like then the you, cake is ruined. Well, oh. and like you said, too, if if they were honest to their customers, I think they would have taken it a little differently. If they would have been like, due to inflation, we are cutting back, but it's just the economy. We're going to change the ingredients to make sure it still tastes mm. the same. I right. think people would respect that a little more. But or, now they you know, just put look out- sketchy. <laughs> So there was a, uh, let's see, there was a, I was doing research for a reel that I made today for the Daily Signal, and it was covering inflation. And um, one of the pieces of B-roll footage that I came across was uh, a photo of like like an egg section. And there was a sticker that said, our supplier has raised their prices, so we're raising our prices on eggs. And it was just like very transparent, you know, times are rough. This is why eggs have gone up. There you go. And there's a little there's respect to that because it's like, look, here is very transparently why eggs have increased in price. That is the honest to God reason. And it's like the Betty Crocker thing. If they're just like, look, prices have gone up. It costs more. Yes, the same box of cake mix is more expensive now. We're sorry. Here's a smaller version that was the original price. And we've changed stuff. I, I respect that because like you're adapting to the situation. Your customers are the most important. I think of Costco. And like how much of a loss they take on like hot dogs and pizza. Are you are you a big going into Costco, like a Costco date kind of gal? Oh, like yeah, you want just like Costco food? food? Absolutely. Oh, praise God. And I, I really enjoy it too. When I was in Hawaii, we flew into Maui um, to cover the, the wildfires. The first place that we ate was the Costco in Hawaii. And uh, I was so thankful the price was still the same because Hawaii is very, very expensive. And then later on, we ended up spreading a lot of money around to local businesses, especially after I saw what what it had you know done. But I just I'm I'm struck by kind of how careless of a decision that was and how, again, it is so much harder right now on people in this country than just things are a little more expensive. Quantities of things are going down. Uh, food things are also decreasing. And so I guess all of that to say, keep an eye on the measurements of things. Uh, for the next couple of weeks that you're in the store. I know it's Christmas. Before you buy the goodies for the holiday treats, check the ounces of all things. Make sure that you're getting what you're paying more for. Uh, Thanks for stopping by the Tony Kinnett cast this evening. I'm Tony Kinnett. We will see you tomorrow. You have been listening to 93 WIBC.